0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars, premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders. The OR Thailand Grand Prix has been sweated into the record books, which means we now have perspired through 17 rounds of 20 in MotoGP this year. Jorge Martín made another triple, pole, sprint, and GP. Brad Binder just loves those track limits on the last lap. And Peko Bagnaya's Lazarus theme to 2023 continues at pace. Buriman was hot, heady, and hectic. But like a Somkhet Chantra Park Fermé interview, we're going to launch into this Paddock Pass podcast with Giddy Abandon. Content that the continent-hopping first triple is now done. I'm Adam Wheeler, and I'm joined by our own man on the ground, the Hooverer of Noodles, the debrief Dominator, <laughs> and the Unmatchable Baselines. Any World Feed commentary, Neil Morrison. Is it kampai time in Buriram, Neil?
1: Uh, it is barbecue chicken time. Ad. Uh, yeah, when we went to the food stall uh, that's just next to the track after the and finished today, there was just barbecue chicken at, But wow, what a what a what a thing to be. Basically, uh, the only thing left on the menu, it was uh, was pretty impressive, yeah. So um, local cuisine has been top-notch, I have to say.
0: I think you're going to be spending a lot of time on the porcelain throne then for the next few days. Uh, Best of luck with that activity. Um, Also on the line is the cornerstone to most of Europe's coffee commercial activity, David Emmett. (laughs) Dave, how do you feel about the fact that you're just one more
2: sleep-wrecking round of MotoGP yet uh, to deal with in this season? I'm delighted because, uh, I mean, this is, I have an enormous amount of respect for uh, for everyone who uh, goes on, goes to all of these flyaways because it it would literally kill me. Um, I would not physically survive. It's bad enough um, sort of doing it this way, writing at home, staying at home and writing and um, getting up. Uh, reasonable well yeah, yeah let's put it this way not getting up for fp1 anyway uh, anyway that's uh well w- way too much of a uh of an imposition
0: uh neil put your violin away we're trying to do a podcast here <laughs> um <laughs> Steve English is, of course, wrapping up the 2023 World Superbike season. Allegedly, he's doing the commentary in a full-blown gold jumpsuit with a gold-encrusted <laughs> microphone as well.
2: So no change there, then? Just, just, just the normal uh, cla- uh, <laughs> yeah. guess-up?
1: As long as he doesn't have a cigar.
2: <laughs> um, Steve does,
0: uh, however, have a fantastic deep dive into some of the World Superbike regulations on a special podcast coming up, so don't miss that. Um, as for motor gp and uh, no more further adoing grades for this race dave
2: i mean uh, 10 out of 10 i mean how can you not give it 10 out of 10
0: good shout neil what's your feeling uh having you know uh kind of basically sweated your way through it like we said and still being on the ground and being rather late at night compared to us yeah yeah
1: nine nine point five out of ten um yeah ticked all boxes really um two great great races today moto gp was fantastic probably the race of the year maybe along with last weekend of phillip island silverstone as well definitely amongst those uh those three races moto 3 was great um decent attendance i think just under eighty thousand, and there was a home podium in some chandra which sent the uh, the home crowd wild so yeah 9.5
0: yeah, I'm not going to give it a number. I'm just going to say best race of the year. I, I thought that was, uh, at one point it was lagging. I kind of thought it's been the, does he have anything for Martin? You know, we'd seen this scenario before, but then he just shadowed him enough. And, you know, the, the climax, of the last five to six laps were fantastic. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. One thing we didn't really see on the TV though, I mean, the, like you said, the, the attendance figure was just below 80,000. Did the Grand Prix seem busy? Did it seem more populated than last year?
1: It didn't, to be honest, no. Um, although I'm probably not the best person to ask because we were sort of leaving the track uh, at, pretty, at a pretty late hour. Um, it's quite tough to find accommodation in Burram because there's not really many options on the sort of traditional sites that you would book your hotel on, like booking.com, hotel.com, um, and the, the, the options that are there are ludicrously expensive we um with the help of uh one of our colleagues who works for thai tv Uh, I think if you speak Thai then there are plentiful accommodation options so she found us a a nice cheap and cheery option and we found that actually being at the track late into the evening was more agreeable to being at our hotel so um, we were leaving (laughs) pretty late at night so we weren't really getting a a true indication of the crowds but looking at the photos from today and looking at um, the grandstands the the grandstands were pretty much full um, uh, you know in the main street so yeah but I didn't have a, a, a great Indication that yeah, the, the event was like humming.
0: Well, there was plenty of moments for the crowd to choose from. Um, Neil, keep talking. What was the moment that sort of stood out for you from the Grand Prix?
1: Well, I mean, there were a lot in the the MotoGP race. I'm going to go with um, the last lap, um, the third sector. I think of the last lap because Jorge Martin had just um got past Brad Binder the lap before I think to take the lead decisively, but Binder was so strong through the third sector of the track, um, turn seven eight and nine were kind of where he was threatening Martin for the most of the race. And on the final lap, I think if Brad was going to make a move on Martin, it was going to be into either turn eight or turn nine. Um and on that final lap you could see that Binder was really pushing to, to make the move, but Martin was able to defend so staunchly. It was it was remarkable. And there was uh, I think it was going into turn nine for the final time. Both were basically turning into the apex so early been their first to attempt and overtake and then Martin to, to kind of defend and it was just a it was kind of one of those uh indications of just anything that brad was attempting Martin was kind of matching him in, in his defensive action and it was a, a brilliantly defensive uh, performance from Martin, brilliant in so many aspects which i'm sure we're going to come on to but um yeah i mean it was nail biting right up until the end
0: I think for me, uh, one of the moments that really stood out was earlier on in the race, just the, the hustle and bustle between Mar- Marquez and, and Peko Bagnaya. You know, there was just a bit of shithousery, I thought, for Marquez. He really sort of stuck the Honda in places where he had no right to, to be. It's similar to what he produced in the sprint on Saturday. And it was almost like a little bit of a taster, I think, towards 2024, I think Mark was saying, imagine what I've got um, next year and what I'll be able to do to you. Of course, you know, Mark would go on to have some more action with Alessia Spargaro that was just as tasty, but I just thought that to and fro from Bagnaya was um, was pretty special. What stood out for you, Dave?
2: Uh, I mean, for me, it was Pe- uh, Pekka Beniaia's uh, attempt. I think it was on the penultimate lap. Um diving around the outside uh, into Turn 12, past both uh, Martin and Binder, which was... A ridiculous move to attempt, but he almost pulled it off. Uh, That was the kind of race it was. It was people trying all sorts of things which really shouldn't work and almost getting away from them. And it was, I mean, uh, to me, it was really the kind of move that a champion is supposed to make. As you were saying about Marcus, you know, like Marcus is not going to give up anything we're without a fight and he'll, um, he'll squeeze in anywhere. And this was, yeah, I mean, it was an outrageous kind of rem- I thought, first of all, he just missed his braking marker. Um, but no, it was, it was a genuine attempt at a pass. But it's one of those sort of, well, let's see what happens. And um, uh, and he, he came very close to actually pulling it off.
0: That was one of those points, actually. I mean, Dorna and MotoGP at the moment have this uh, little kind of post-race process where the riders gather in the room before going on the podium. Uh, nobody commentates and you just listen to the audio between the riders and um, one of the good things of obviously about having Brad Binder as part of the podium ceremony that, that there is a bit of a default to English and I was listening I wanted to see you know that clip of Bagnaya coming up with that move I wanted to see if he said anything you know that was kind of um, I don't know illuminating about that particular gesture but there wasn't much material in that one there Dave so it was uh I, I haven't seen the transcript from the press conference yet so I'd like to hear a more detailed de- description about his thought processes for it
2: yeah i mean he, he did mention it in the press conference but he did basically just sort of like say well i thought i'd try and, and see what happened and uh, it, you know didn't quite make it got pushed wide and lost out so it was uh, it was quite a dry description of what was just an incredibly brave move
0: <laughs> guys we had 26 laps of the grand prix why was this race so good Uh, You know, we saw riders taking different lines. You know, there wasn't really any kind of collisions or controversial moments to speak of. I mean, there was no aerodynamic pieces flying around the track. It was actually quite clean. It was entertaining. There was uh, variations, different interpretations, like the Bagnaya move, a perfect example. Um, Dave, I mean, is there any kind of underlying reason why the Chang International Circuit provided this spectacle?
2: Uh, Yes, Uh, tyres. It's as simple as that. Um, What we have at the Chang International Circuit are tyres which are... um, how can I put this not optimal they 're not the perfect tires because they have to be such a massive compromise because of the stresses put on uh, on them because it 's very, very hot and they 're doing a lot of braking they 're doing a lot of acceleration uh, track temperatures are you know generally well above fifty degrees um, and so they can 't just use general sort of um, uh, tires they have to use these special heat resistant tires, and those heat resistant tires are just not as good as the normal ones and because they 're not as good as the normal ones. You get uh, you you get much more of a time management race. Riders have to think about what they're doing. They have to because also if you compare the times, like the race times from today and the race times from the sprint yesterday, lap times are about a second slower because they really have to, you know, judge what they're doing. They have to be really, really careful uh, uh, about what they're doing. Um, You can't just sort of like go flat out. The 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 most boring races are the ones where riders can just flat out. Because then, what what happens is you end up with the natural spread of the fastest bikes. Uh, was um, this gave riders a chance to escape, but it also gave riders a chance to come back. Because if you think about where Bagnaglia was in the early laps, he was sort of down in sort of fifth, sixth. He got beat up a little bit and then came back. Um, There was a bit of a gap and he managed to close the gap up. Uh, uh, People were going forward. People were going back. Um, Also, Franco Morbidelli had an interesting observation saying the front tyre, is less critical here because even though you do have a couple of very very hard breaking uh, sections, um, it, it, it's not quite as critical for uh, for wear or for use for that sort of thing. And so you get there's a, there's a little bit more room to play, which is why we saw so many of these uh, passing uh, passing attempts.
0: I wonder if Alex Marquez agrees with the importance of the front tire there, because, I mean, uh, the Spaniard was looking pretty good for a while, but then, you know, of course, his race was over early. Neil, what was your take on that? Because, again, we do see riders with different lines. Was it also a situation where riders and their particular stories just came to the fore? I mean, if we take Marco Bezzegi for example, uh, you were asking him how he's been dealing with his injury, and he said this was the toughest Grand Prix of the lot. I mean, he really had to uh, soldier through those 26 laps.
1: Yeah, I think uh, what Dave said is is definitely bang on the money. I also think that um, you know we saw ridiculously close times right the way through the whole MotoGP grid um, all weekend long. Uh, looking at qualifying, I mean, Fabio Cotteraro qualified 10th and he was 0.42 off pole position. I mean, we're talking about very, very fine margins. Uh, we had, what, the third, sorry, the fourth closest Premier Class podium in, in history, uh, just a quarter of a second covering three riders. Um, we had an extremely close top 10 at the end with, uh, what, nine seconds covering the the, the top 10 riders and uh 15 seconds covering the top 15 you know they're not the closest of all time but they're they're certainly in the top five top six of, of both top tens and top 15s um and i think that kind of comes from the fact that um generally it's a it's a fairly simple layout there's not a great deal to the Chang international Circuit, certainly the first half of it anyway you've got a right hand so almost a 90 degree right hand they're going on to a big long straight then a loop which comes back down um a lot of the riders were saying there's not Massive area there to to, to kind of gain an advantage on your rivals. And it kind of shows that, obviously, you know, we have Chikadi at the top of MotoGP, but generally, like, if you're looking from a general perspective, there's not a massive, massive deal between the MotoGP bikes, but, you know, kind of very fine margins. Um, And, um, yeah, I think the fact that everything was so close, then the fact that uh, the guys at the front had to to really manage their rear tires um, for the first... Uh, the first half of the race at least, Um, yeah, it meant that that everything was kind of squashed up together.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Dave, what you thought about the track. I mean, 4.5 kilometers, 12 corners, it is simplistic, and it's only the fourth Grand Prix we've had at the Chang International Circuit. You know, I mean, how much of an ingredient was this towards like a fantastic Grand Prix? Because we did see different bikes having different strengths. I mean, Brad Binder's speed through some of the twistiest section was particularly impressive. And, and I think this applies also to the sprint yesterday. The amount of sort of like forceful late braking going on was incredible. I thought that the, the TV production from Dorna was first class in just showing some of the idiosyncrasies and tiny details of MotoGP that really illustrates why these guys are on the limit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of Tilka Tracks as a uh, as a rule, but this one it has some really interesting um, details. So, for example, the turn three, the 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 corner that Neil was describing, the fact that it's a loop, it's quite a wide loop, it's quite a long loop, and that means that there's multiple lines of uh, through there. There's different ways you can go through there. There's different ways you can attack through there. Um, uh, We saw sort of basically time and again, I think Ormer, I'm not sure if it was the last lap or the penultimate uh, lap. Um, uh, I I think Brad Binder sort of trying to dive up the inside of Jorge Martín and Martín seeing him coming, knowing what to do, letting him, you know, just staying out wide and then diving back underneath. So there was... uh, That sort of thing. And there's a few of those sort of corners. Like, you know, turns eight and nine worked really, really well. Um, There's there's basically... And also, like, the the fact that it's a short run from the last corner also means that it's worth attempting something. Slow last corners generally produce good racing. Because if you think about it, you know, 2018 was a fantastic race. 2019 was a fantastic race. This is a fantastic race. The track really sort of uh, emphasizes it, but also it allows. Um, and I do think this is also a factor of the tyres. Um, the, the fact that uh, it, it's also it's it's not about top speed, it's about acceleration. Uh, and so, if you can get drive, because the Yamaha's had a pretty good uh, weekend, really. Um, Fabio ended up, I think, fifth or sixth, um, uh, uh, or seventh, I think fifth. I can't remember anyway. Fifth, yeah, fifth. See, that's that's a really, really good. Um, uh, that's a really good result. Morbidelli also um, had a pretty good race despite a uh, uh, poor qualifying. Because what they can do, they were able to use the tire to break. They were able to use the par, uh, the, the tire to accelerate. Um, uh, they, they they could get drive. There were different ways of getting drive out of it. it it's not just a stop and go, a simple stop and go circuit.
0: Tire factor, I did, uh, you know, I was watching Binder and those fantastic onboard shots from Jorge Martins' bike, just wondering when the tire pressure was going to go crazy for the KTM rider. But he just kept hanging in there, kept hanging on in the slipstream. And then uh, he did say post-race that once he made a move into the lead, then he realized his tires were screwed. So it was a strange kind of dynamic. But when we come to talk about tire pressures, Neil, uh, you know, Alessio Spargaro, uh, he paid the price for... Well, I mean, it was a pretty tough day for Aprilia, anyway. But you know, the the tire pressure just went through the roof, and then uh, he was um, penalised for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had uh, four different riders penalised for uh, their front tire pressures being too low for more than fifty percent of the race. That's the the most number of riders we've seen get this penalty since they started. Um, basically applying these penalties from, when was it, Misano, Barcelona, was it, I think? Or maybe it was Austria. Um, anyway, mid-season. Um, yeah, Aspargaro had a previous warning, and this meant that this was his second defense. He got a three-second penalty, which dropped him from fifth to eighth. Um Interestingly, Martín, Marquez, and Paul Aspargaro were the others. And, um, yeah, quite interesting for for Martín. Obviously, he was the guy that was leading the majority of the race, so it was quite difficult, you know, they say, that um, it's very difficult to program the sort of front tire pressure because you're not sure if you're going to be leading, you're not sure if you're going to be second. Your front tire is going to be dramatically different if you are leading compared to if you are going to be second. And Martin led every single lap bar, I think three of the 26. Um, So he was out front for the most part. Um, And and, and yeah, that could have some quite interesting implications for the rest of the year because if Martin is under... Or, you know kind of befalls this kind of rule again then uh, yeah he'll get a three second penalty and that could ultimately have a, a pretty significant role in the championship
2: yeah, I mean we could see uh, we could see two things have a role in the championship, which, which was also the fact that uh, Brad Binder exceeded track limits on the last uh, uh, on the last lap, and it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was sort of very obvious that he did actually go onto the green. Um, um, I think he said that he just hit a bump and, and ran a little bit wide, uh, and it was the last lap. You know, they go there going for it. So it's not surprising. It's a real shame. He doesn't deserve the penalty. Uh, but, that you know, them's the rules, really. There's nothing you can do about it. And it's the same with the with the tyre pressure. Um, but it is very difficult to, to balance the tyre pressure also because the tyre pressure can change with... Uh, it changes a lot with your position. Um, so Jorge Martín, Pramac must have tried to weigh up the uh, odds of... Martin being able to escape and ride alone versus you know all right am I going is he going to get stuck behind traffic so do we have to drop it a little bit lower than than we are otherwise just in case uh, Binder because I know they were really afraid of Binder uh, they knew that he was going to be trouble maybe they were worried about being being stuck behind Binder um, uh, I think KTM did a good uh, did a good job the factory Ducati team seemed to be superb at that because Banyaya just never. He never seems to have a problem with his front tire, and he never seems to have problems with uh, with, with tire pressures. Um, and finally, alesh I wonder if because alesh said that he was having terrible problems with the heat from the bike. Um, this was, and it, again, it seems to be a big problem, especially for the heat, for, for the Aprilias. There's so much heat coming off the bike, and it's uh, it's coming up above through the fairing, above the fairing and then sort of into the face of the riders and they've got all this sort of you know, hot air of 60, 70, 80 degrees and it becomes really, really difficult for them to breathe. Um, and he said he was sort of like in the, the last few laps he was starting to struggle so maybe he was going a little bit slower in those uh, in those last laps and that was One of the reasons, one of the things that was causing him to not be able to, he said he couldn't breathe, you know, so when you can't breathe, you can't brake properly. And so maybe that was one of the reasons why the front tyre temperature went up so high. Or, or, sorry, the front tyre pressure went down so low sort of thing. It didn't come up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, i know it is worth saying obviously that you know this is a track with seriously heavy braking zones in turn one turn three turn four turn five turn twelve um and the fact that we're racing in you know ambient temperatures of 30 degrees track temperatures of 45 plus degrees um and everything is very close together you know we mentioned how close the top ten was um you know it's very difficult to have clean air when you're in a big group you know all of these things were con- contributing to it but just i was speaking to just did the, the the paddock note show earlier with uh, our colleague Pete McLaren, and we were sort of positing that you know this could imagine we go to Valencia, and you know Valencia is like quite a tricky track where you don't really get a, there's a lot of heavy breaking areas there. It could be a big group race at the front of the race, and let's say that Martin and Bagnar are going for the title at the final race, and Martin beats Pecco, but then and is celebrating the the championship victory on the cooldown lap and comes into Parc Ferme and is. Declared the world champion, and then suddenly, it's actually been deemed that he has, um, you know, his tire pressure hasn't been high enough for fifty percent of the race. We could have a situation where the world championship, you know, changes hands after the race is a uh, after the race is finished, which would kind of be a bit of a disaster for, uh, you know, the, the the kind of the image of the sport. I mean, it wouldn't be how you would want it. To, you would want it to pan out at all. But, you know, with this rule in place, that possibility is out there, especially now that Martin has already picked up a warning.
0: It's the same for track limits as well, Neil. I mean, that could feasibly happen in Valencia. You could see, like you say, I mean, we're almost, what, touching 400 World Championship points now, and the split is only 13 at the top. That's quite impressive in itself and fantastic, to be honest. I'm glad that it's going... So close again, right down to the wire. But, um, just to come back to the points about the heat, I think Alesh said in his debrief that April were trying a couple of things to, to deviate or to direct the heat away from the riders. Did Ralph Fernandez ride with a pipe or something at some point in the weekend? And also, Um, You know, Luca Marini was saying, you know, you really start to sweat when you are following another rider as if the, the, you know, obviously the exhaust and the the accumulative effect of following someone in the slipstream really raises the temperature. I mean, these are kind of fascinating details that you don't quite appreciate when you're watching a race on TV. And if we remember last year, of course, the Hondas were burning the right feet, uh, you know, the sort of the extremities of people like Stefan Brado and they had to fix that problem
2: yeah i mean it it's always interesting going down and looking at uh, the uh, looking at the fairings um because, I mean, I was looking, going back and looking at photos of the various fairings that I'd made to try and see if I could see what was going on with the, with the Aprilis, but it's very difficult to see. But for example, um, the KTMs, the KTM seems to be really, really smart because they have, um, uh, if you sort of, if you can go and get a picture of the, uh, of the KTM, you'll see the air intake, but there's like a gap all around the air intake. And what they do with that air is they, they funnel some of it down, uh, towards the rider's, or it looks like it's down towards the rider's feet. They're also uh, channeling some of it up underneath the the tank or something. Um, uh, maybe they're using it also a little bit to just dissipate some of the heat from the engine away from the rider um, because it really does seem to be just the Aprilia who have this problem from them. Everyone has problems with the heat and you always have problems with the heat from the rider um, ahead, but it seems specifically the Aprilia which have all all of these uh, has all of this heat from um from the you know basically from the, from the bike which is affecting the rider and that tube that you were talking about the Raul tried I think also um Alicia tried it at uh, in Mandalika um it's basically like a little sort of tube which takes air from the air intake from the front and then blows it directly into the face of the rider to try and sort of get rid of take fresh air and blow some of that uh, uh, blow some of that hot air away but there's so much Coming up, that it's that it's you know it's difficult to dissipate.
0: I mean, Maverick Binales had a very Maverick Benyales Grand Prix, right? I mean, fast all the way through practice, but when it came to the crucial moment,
2: uh, things just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he just had an absolutely disastrous. Uh, just had an absolutely disastrous race. I think also, Raúl Fernandez was saying he was uh, having terrible problems with the heat as well.
0: We've reached that point in the podcast where we asked the same question that we've been doing recently. I'm gonna to come to you first, Neil. Martin or Bagnaya? Especially based on today's uh feats?
1: I honestly do not have a clue. Um and I think that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the great things about this championship. It genuinely could go either way. Um and yeah, I could see various connotations, various situations where Martín goes on to win it, various situations where Banya goes on to win it. Um, you know, and, and the kind of each one, each rider is out doing the other one week by week. Um, you know, we, we've kind of gone halfway through this podcast, but we haven't even mentioned really, you know, what Martín did today, which was a, a pretty astonishing bit of riding. Um, you know, week We're on. We're going to get to that in a minute. All right. <laughs>
0: Come on, just stop sitting on the fence. Who's going to win
1: the championship? Martin.
2: Okay, Dave? Yeah, I think Martin as well, For uh, precisely because of what he did today. He has momentum. I think Peko is going to put up a hell of a fight. Um, but you saw, uh, I think, uh, Pekka, um, Davide Taudozzi sort of storm off. And remember... David Tadotti is a team manager for the Ducati Lenovo team, so his 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 interests are not uh, Ducati. His interests are um, the, the the factory Ducati Lenovo team, um, and he seemed pretty upset. But at the end of the at the end of the race, also just because there was sort of like so much going on, they they're clearly really quite worried about um, uh, about this, it's not as easy as it should be, Martinez ju- he just has his mojo going and th- the way that he rode during that race was um, it was proper championship stuff
0: for me, I'm going to stick with Bagnaya. I think he's still uh, stitching together a very worthy championship campaign and coming back from all sorts of um, adversity. So I'm, I'm sticking with the reigning number one. Um, a reminder at this point that if you're considering some top quality aftermarket parts for your street bike, then head to the Aladdin's Cave of Accessories and Parts at Rental.com. That's right. The brand are not only off-road masters, but also have road motorcycle excellence in the catalogue. And it's not just about handlebars. Have a look at Rental.com. Neil, coming back... Back to how I uh, rudely interrupted you earlier. Jorge Martin, uh, you know, you're, you and Dave are very convinced by the Spaniard now. It, I mean, it's been his best season in MotoGP yet. Uh, a very convincing display here in Thailand. Nothing of the, the kind of mistake that we saw appearing in Indonesia. There was, there was nothing really to hint that that was going to happen again. Um, do you guys have any particular opinion of why Martin was so particularly strong here Went pole, sprint and GP?
1: Well, I would disagree with you, Ad. Um I definitely had a hint that uh, there was going to be a repeat of Indonesia. I don't know exactly why, but Martin gave an indication of the pressure that he was under all weekend, the stress. He mentioned after winning today that uh, he didn't enjoy Saturday at all. That was a day when he scored pole position and won the sprint. He said he couldn't enjoy it because his mind was so focused on the race today. Um, before the race, he deviated from his normal routine, went into the garage because he was... Uh, a little worried about um being outside in the, the the really hot humid conditions that they have here in thailand he was worried of a bit of a repeat of india um and yeah this was going to be a different test this wasn't going to be like a misano or one of his you know the scene of one of his other previous victories Um this was going to be a, a tire management race and you wouldn't say that Martin is such a tested, proven force when he's in that kind of situation as a Banyaya, let's say. Um, so, yeah, I thought there was plenty of reason to think that he might fall short here. Um, but what was so impressive, well, there's, you know, two things that were so impressive. Well, in fact, three things, really. The, f- the first one was that he managed his tyres so brilliantly well in the first part of the race. And then was so strong at the end, you know, had a bit more left compared to Binder and Banyaya when it got to the critical phase. The second was that he was able to attack Binder. Um, You know, when you think back to the start of this year, I think we've said this recently, but he is now a very aggressive rider and we weren't able to say that about Jorge at the start of this year. And then finally, just he managed to keep his head like he was under immense pressure, immense pressure, not just because of Brad Binder on on track right behind him, but the the, the kind of the situation, the fact that he had made two mistakes in the last two races, Um, the fact that he could not let Panyaya Beat him in this race because you know the lead was, the lead was already fairly considerable coming here to Indonesia, Um, and he he sort of he managed to, he managed to come up trumps in everything. And I thought one little thing that was quite interesting: we spoke in last week's show about how Jorge was what zero point four. His fastest lap in the the Phillip Island race was nearly four tenths faster than the next fastest rider, Um, maybe. He had gone a bit too hard, a bit too early in that race. You look at the the kind of the fastest lap of each rider in today's race, and Martin was the ninth fastest rider on track. And now, admittedly, there was very little to choose between the fastest laps of all the top ten riders, but still that showed you that he had learned from last week. He had learned that it wasn't about just going all out and proving that you could be the fastest guy. It was about just kind of keeping things consistent and managing it. And I mean he came up he came up Trumps.
2: Yeah, I mean, the most interesting comment he made in the press conference was that he basically hadn't slept for four nights um, because he was just thinking about the race on Sunday. He was so concerned about the the race on, Monday, on Sunday. Because, I mean, when I saw he deviated from his routine, I thought that was just an incredibly stupid thing to do because the last thing you want to do is upset yourself, take yourself out of your routine, you start making other mistakes. Um, but hats off, I was completely wrong about that. Hats off to him. He was so focused and it was such a good ride. It was, I mean, like, like, like you said, um, Neil, so good at uh, withstanding the pressure, so good at, um, understanding what was happening, waiting. He was patient, um, which I think is like the, the one, thing where he's really improved as a rider he's learned to be patient you know he he was patient but he also he was aggressive and saw that you know he could have managed to, to, he saw openings when they happened. Um, he defended like a, a, his line into the final corner was, I mean, as a racing load, it was bloody terrible, but, um, as a perfect piece of defending, he put himself right in the middle of the line. You couldn't get underneath him. You couldn't go ra- uh, around the outside. There was nowhere left to properly attack. So I, it was just, it was just superb.
0: Yeah. And he kept sticking his leg out as well, just to make sure if you fancied uh, sticking up the inside. Um, Dave, do we have questions over Martin's mentality? I, I mean, I've kind of in the past questioned whether Fabio Quattararo had the, the mental resolve to get the job done when he was under severe pressure from Peko Bagnaya. Uh, and you know, that whether I was right or wrong, I mean, you know, Bagnaya won the championship in the end, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I think Quattararo's, um, qualifications in this aspect you know, are still to be judged. But I mean, obviously he's, a, he's as hard as when it comes to being a racer. But Martin is a former world champion. He has closed the deal. But, you know, he's now in probably the most pressurized situation he's ever been in in his career, where the spotlight is the greatest, the attention, everything that swirls around you being a championship contender in MotoGP. And he tried to palm it away a little bit by saying that Bagnaya has the pressure to be world champion this year. He doesn't. But that's sort of becoming very, very much weaker every time that he's making results like he's doing this weekend. So, do we now have to look at whether Martin is um, starting to waver a little bit, and how whether this could affect things on the track? Uh,
2: to me, I think he proved it today. You know, like I, I think he showed this weekend. Like we said, he was so afraid, he was so worried about um, uh, about this long race because he'd made two he'd made two stupid mistakes one in Mandalika crashing when there was no need to crash when he was leading by uh, by so much um, then another one in Phillip Island when he chose the right you know chose took a risky tyre choice and uh, then blew it also by just sort of, you know, really burning up his tyre in the first uh, in, in the first couple of laps, I think his second or third flying lap. Um, so there was so much pressure right now and the, he was coming under so much pressure. He had Peko Bagnaia breathing down his neck and he knew it. So he knew that he couldn't afford to make a mistake. He also knew that, um, okay, if he let Brad Binder past. He still had to have the fortitude. He still had to be aware that he couldn't let Peko uh, pass him as well. So it was really, really important for him just to withstand that pressure. And I think that, that um, this race was, uh, um, I think it was the making of Jorge Martín.
1: I think you just had to look at Pecco's reaction in Park Fermi. I mean, I don't think I've seen Pecco that disappointed after finishing on the podium, maybe in his MotoGP career. It's hard to recall him looking so downbeat, so downcast. The same could be said of his team, um, and uh, yeah, I think they know that they. I mean, it's been clear for a while that they're properly up against it. But you know, Banya rallied in Mandalika. He produced a great performance in in Phillip Island to to kind of salvage second from what looked like a, a pretty nasty situation, um, but. Um, I did sort of compare Jorge Martin to 2015 Jorge Lorenzo in last week's pod and I think today kind of confirmed it because whatever happens whatever sort of setback he has he just comes back he keeps coming and I remember Dave in 2015 you compared Lorenzo to the Terminator you know whatever was thrown his way that you thought was going to knock him down he would just get back up again and come again and come back even stronger and you know this is kind of proven to be the case with with Jorge Martin you know two big setbacks and he still proved that he was the fastest he also proved that he was the most intelligent today um so yeah massive massive step and this is what the second time that we've had a I don't know if you would call today a proper scrap between Martin and Banyai, but it was definitely uh, you know them fighting plus Brad Binder um the other time being the Saxon ring this year and Martin has come out on tops in uh, both occasions so I think that definitely uh counts for something as well at this list stage of the year
2: yeah I mean, I think you can easily make a case that Jorge Martin is the fastest rider at the moment. Um, the question was, was he also you know the the, the smartest, the most stable, the stronger, the most strongest mentally? And I think that that now um, well, I think he's at least as good as Banyaya now, and that gives him the advantage.
1: Yeah, I would say the only thing working against him is that he's been in the kind of the role as the chaser. All year long, with the exception of Sunday in when he had briefly taken the championship lead in the sprint there and he crashed out. So let's say he goes to Valencia with five or ten points advantage. Uh, you know, there's still a kind of an, uh, it's kind of uncharted territory for Jorge or in, not, not, not uncharted, but kind of previous time he was in that situation, he, he crashed. So. That's maybe one one thought I still have, you know, like how is he going to handle that pressure if he's the leader rather than being the chaser?
0: Neil, you managed to find uh, Prima Pramat Racing team manager Gino Boysoy after the race. And just before we play that little interview, what's kind of the vibe down there in the pit box? I mean, it's been a great season for Gino kind of heading up the the, the team there. Is there a feeling that they're under the cosh or are they kind of reveling in the moment
1: <laughs> well, as you'll uh, you'll soon hear, um they're definitely reveling in the moment um yeah, it was it maybe wasn't the best timing I have to say because I went down after the press conference immediately to the the Pramac box to grab Gino, and we were chatting and just as we were sort of mid chat um Jorge sort of returned to the box and everyone was cheering and banging on the the uh, the garage walls and um it became pretty clear immediately that Gino uh, would prefer to go and join his victorious rider and his team <laughs> members somewhere stand, else <laughs> stand chatting nonsense with me um so yeah but it was it was quite telling and a little bit maybe we'll discuss this afterwards but a little bit of uh, a little bit of spice i think between the factory team and the Pramac team you'll hear that in gino's uh, final comment Gino always had some fantastic performances this year, but I think that was maybe the most impressive. What, what did you think?
3: Uh, well, I'm, um, What I can say, I'm really happy about today. I'm uh, really happy about uh, the incredible weekend. So far, uh, we did uh, because uh, we show we show that uh, from the mistake, uh, we we learn, we learn that we come back. Uh, I hope even more strong than, than before. Uh, we a mistake. Uh, are you are women? So, but the most important thing that uh, if you know it was a mistake, and uh, we know how to react. So it's intelligent move to to go forward. So this is most important thing for me. But uh, on the other on the other end, I have to say that uh, well, make how we can like this uh, is the best way to to show that we are there to show that uh, we still have option. Uh, For the title, of course, we have a lot of races in front of us. It will be difficult because Peko is so strong. Again, that is one of the best rides on track. But uh, from the mentality point of view, I have to say that uh, we are a bit more stronger than, uh, than the other team at the moment.
1: the tire today it was super impressive in the first sure. half of the
3: race well i have to say that it's one of the best race ever no uh, if i look back uh, maybe we didn't find something like that it was so smart to, to save the tire at the end uh, we were literally uh, suffering uh, on the right on the right side uh, at the last uh, five lap five lap to go and he was the best the best on management
1: so just finally, um, how did you manage for his stress? He said in the press conference he was quite stressed before the race and after everything that happened in Phillip Island.
3: No stress. No? No stress. I think the stress uh, is under the, <laughs> the red coat or not for us at the moment. <laughs> nice to hear you. Gino, thank, thank you so much. You.
0: Great stuff there from Gino. And, um, that's what it's about, Neil, being on the ground and getting those kind of reactions and those small interviews. Um, as we said, Dave, uh, Prima Pramac racing. Wow. Uh, what a season, you know, really on the threshold of something special. And, uh, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, there's something boiling up, isn't there? We've been saying it for a while in the podcast between the factory Ducati team, between Pekka Bagnai and Jorge Martin. Things seem very cordial on the surface, but you do have to wonder what's being said behind closed doors.
2: Yeah, I mean there is definitely I mean th- how is this there's very polite beef between uh, Martin and Banyaya. Um they are uh, uh they're not going to be I mean they'll they'll send each other um Christmas cards but the Christmas cards will be say will just say best wishes x uh, rather <laughs> than you know it's, it's not going to be six pages with uh with you know all of the details of what's going on.
1: Not like my Christmas card to you Div.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The um. The the very people still do
1: Christmas cards.
2: Of course people still do Christmas cards. Well, I mean, like, you know, old people like me do, obviously. Um, uh, well, actually, that's a lie. I don't send Christmas cards to anyone because I don't send it. I don't like communicating with the hu- uh, human beings, really. It's, it's your really lovely my-
0: wife who probably takes that duty on.
2: It is my lovely wife who I'm, uh, I mean, some punching way above my weight to uh, to even be associated with. But anyway, um, there is beef between Pecco and um, uh, and Martin. There's also a property a rivalry between the the two teams. I think you start to wonder whether, because there are um, I I think Pramac have something like seven factory Ducati engineers in their garage, and you have to start to wonder whether they're how can I put this whether they're starting to see them as sort of interlopers, whether they're starting to wonder whether this isn't um, somewhere you know, to what extent they they Truly trust them. Gigi Delinia, Paolo Ciabatti have been very clear, saying we don't care who wins; it's going to be a Ducati. Um, but you have to think that they really that it would be much it would be much preferable if it was Pecco rather than Martin. And Martin and Pramac, I think, also really want to make a point. And the arrival of Gino Borsoi, he has just been the last ingredient to pull that team together to make the difference.
1: Yeah, I think uh, in the lead-up to this race, we saw an interview with uh, PECO's crew chief, Cristiano Gaberini in the Gazeta de la Sport. And uh, he had an interesting comment. You know, it's quite clear that uh, Martin's persistent comments that uh, there's no pressure on me, the pressure's all on PECO because he's expected to win the championship. I'm just a satellite rider. You know, it's clear that that's kind of got under the skin of some of the guys in the, the factory squad because um, Gaberini told Gazeta, it's easy to be in a factory team dressed as a satellite team and have all the benefits of a factory team without any of the drawbacks, (laughs) primarily pressure, which is kind of a nice little dig in his direction. And then as you probably just heard from um, our conversation with Gino, um, he was saying, Stress? What stress? The stress is all in the red box. We're not feeling any stress, even though his rider had kind of admitted to not being able to sleep for a couple of days. So yeah, there's we're starting to see a little bit of um, a little bit of peak between the the two squads, um, and you know it's understandable because there is just so much at stake here. Um, I think reputation-wise, there must be so many engineers in the factory box that think we can't we can't let a satellite team beat us you know there has to be that kind of element as well Um, and yeah that's that's just going to make it uh, all the spicier you have to say.
0: Well one of the teams is going to win and on that note we're going to head towards our winners from the Thai Grand Prix. I'm going to go first because it also brings up a little bit of a theme I wanted to ask you two about. The winner for me from the Grand Prix was Brad Binder. I think it was maybe the third or fourth time this season where the South African has been Competitive in both the sprint and the Grand Prix, uh, just for that assault on Jorge Martin alone, you know, not many riders have been able to chase, follow, pass and threaten Martin to that extent this season. So um full props to Brad Binder on that one. But I was just wondering whether the, the KTM RC16 is turning into a Honda situation like it was for Mark Marquez where it's one motorcycle that's particularly effective for one rider. I mean, we know with the gas-gas the versions, uh, they're not using the carbon chassis um, that the KTMs have at the moment. But uh, Jack Miller was so far off uh, in this Grand Prix, 16th, not even getting a Grand Prix point. Um, and Miller was saying he was struggling, particularly in turn one and turn three, just really couldn't find the drive, um, which, Dave, as you pointed out around this circuit, acceleration was key to everything. I mean, Binder was, was brilliant, but is he the only one that can really make this motorcycle work in, in different conditions?
2: Yeah, but we've seen, Brett, I mean, we have seen uh, Jack Miller be outstanding on that bike. We've seen Augusta Fernandez have some good rides. We've seen uh, Paul Spagro despite his injury, and I think his injury is much worse than uh, than he is letting on. um he has, uh, he has been able to show some really strong results on that. I think it's an imperfect bike. Um, but I do think that Brad Binder is getting, ev- always getting everything out of it. And I think the, I think the parallel with Honda is a good one. Um, but it's not, I mean, it's not the 2023 RC213V that you need to compare it to. It's more like the 2018 bike, um, which was, it was okay but it was still it still had problems you know or the 2019 bike where the the other other honda riders could occasionally do something but they struggled too often probably the problem is that it has a very narrow operating window and bender and his crew have got it in that window all of the time and bender i mean bender is exceptionally talented i think him uh, you would say that, you know, like Binder, Mark and Fabio are the three most naturally talented. Maybe uh, Jorge Martin, becca we can add those two uh, to that because they've both just been um, sort of superb, but it's really difficult to separate being on a fantastic bike from what they're doing. Um, but it's clear that uh, Binder can find something when the bike isn't quite right to still be fast.
0: Neil, Alessio Spargaro pretty much said that You know the the Aprilia isn't as good as the KTM. KTM is second in the constructors standings. Uh, What's your view on that? I mean, do is it kind of pretty much a dead heat between the black bikes and the orange ones, or? It has been to just making it work better than anyone
1: else? Um, that's a tough one to say, really. Yeah, I guess, you know, the Aprilia has been fast in the hands of both Maverick and Aleish. But as Dave said, you know, Jack has had good races this year. Jack was, uh, you know, made a point that when we've had this kind of harder Michelin rear tyre construction, which is brought to uh tracks that are more critical on on rear tire wear um such as austria such as india you know he's really struggled you know in those two tracks he was 15th 14th and 16th today the exception was indonesia where he had a a decent ride in seventh but again a lot of riders crashed in front of him um so yeah that when this kind of particular tire is, is used jack is jack is quite far back um but um yeah, it's it's a tough one to call really. Um yeah, I do think Brad is the guy that's consistently extracting the best out of that. You just have to look at these flyaway races and he's pretty much been one of the lone kind of guys contenders up against, you know, a horde of jukatties. He was, you know, in the midst of four of the Ducatis on in Australia. Um and uh, you know, the same could be said really today in Thailand.
0: There are 75 points left this season. Binder's 61 61- behind the top three so you can't imagine he's going to be riding he's going to be rising any further than fourth in the championship um the man that he probably won't catch Neil was your winner from the weekend
1: he was my winner from the weekend yeah I thought Marco Busecki wrote an absolutely outstanding race um you know the fact that each of the three podium men were equally impressive you know kind of meant that Busecki got overlooked um but um you know he had a He had a good qualifying. He was fourth on the grid, um, but had a tough start. I think he uh, ran off track trying to avoid um, riding into a leash. He finished the first lap in 10th and uh, mounted a a really sterling recovery. Uh, Managed to get up into fourth position, by I think uh, lap 18 was just attacking, attacking, attacking. Some really impressive overtakes, Um, and I think the common wisdom would have been that by the time he had got to fourth he would have used up all of his rear tire probably all of his energy as well um but um but he wasn't that wasn't the case he kept kind of closing in uh, on the leading guys and he was as fast as the the leading group in the, those final laps um you know if he hadn't have had such a, a complicated first lap he could have actually been i think with um Martin Binder and uh, and Pecco um and this is a guy who broke his Uh, right collarbone uh, three weeks and one day ago Um, you know he was a little bit annoyed to be finishing fourth I did say to him afterwards like look Marco your results in the last three weeks have been fifth sixth and fourth with a broken collarbone that's quite remarkable and he said yeah you know it is pretty good we couldn't have expected anywhere near as as good results as that Um, but yeah you have to imagine without breaking that collarbone, Bizecki would still be right in the midst of this title hunt. I think we can now say that he's probably just a little bit too far back, um, 79 points back of banyaya In fact, yeah, he definitely is too far back to, to realistically have a shot of win the championship. But without that collarbone break, you know, um, he probably would have been a good bit closer and he would have been a proper factor in these last three races. So I thought, yeah, bezeki uh, put in a remarkable performance today.
2: Yeah, just a quick thing about Bezecchi's collarbone. I mean, for a start, he broke it while he was riding on the ranch. I don't know if they use airbags while they're riding on the ranch. If they didn't, then he would have taken a big blow on his shoulder. And even, I mean, to, to break your collarbone, people only, only ever think about the collarbone. But the thing is, to break the collarbone, it takes an enormous blow on the shoulder. Um, and that damages a lot more than the rest of the tissue around it, um, I think Bezeki was saying like it's been his uh, it's been his shoulder and his back and his neck and other pieces which is which have really given him a, a lot of problem um, uh, so there's probably a lot of soft tissue damage there which we don't know about, which he hasn't talked about uh, but got fixed because they 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 bolted together his uh, collarbone
1: yeah and it's not just the riding that's been so impressive it's you know you have to take into the account the, the travelling the tiredness the fatigue you know we've been travelling between indonesia australia europe indonesia australia and back to thailand i mean i've been completely worn out and broken by you know this kind of three-week haul of of flights and airtime you know and i've been you know physically in in okay shape um you know so god knows how he's been kind of feeling going between different airports and uh, different airport lounges. so you know another thing to kind of consider it's not like he's just been traveling within europe it's been big long haul flights and um, you know he's managed to deal with that remarkably well
2: yeah, you're probably staying or he's probably staying in a slightly nicer hotel than you though, <laughs> you, know, yeah.
1: you mean he's not paying 30 euros yeah. a night for his hotel div?
2: no I, I, I think he could be going uh, uh, as high as 50 or even 55
0: I mean, let's also be a bit honest, Neil. It's not just this triple, but it's been quite a while since you've been in shape. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's not really a real reflection on the situation, is it? And also there's another sort of small inaccuracy there, because when you asked him in the debrief about, you know, how whether this phase of uh, post-break um competitiveness has been good for him, he just said yes, in true <laughs> Marco Bezecchi fashion. So
2: you had the full treatment
1: there. But then he did expand after that.
2: Yeah, but he, he let you hang for. He he likes to let uh, let journalists hang for a little while. <laughs> it was Dave. Who was your winner? Um, well, my winner is the winner. Uh, my winner is Jorge Martín because he came into this champion into this weekend really needing something. Um, he couldn't afford to make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. He rode out of his skin. Um, he exceeded himself. I think, you know, he said that this was, you know, one of the best races ever. I think this race also, this the way that he rode especially, will allow him to lift himself to another level. You know, like he's going to have made another step. That for me is why, you know, he didn't just win. He also, he's gained ground for the next couple of races as well.
1: I would just like to add a little footnote on to this winner's section. It would be remiss to not mention Somkiat Chantra getting a podium at his home race and sending the home crowd wild. And just a quick little anecdote. I spoke to, or I asked Somkiat a question uh, in the press, con- press conference after the race. He said on Friday morning he was very nervous and it was difficult to deal with the kind of pressure that surrounded this weekend. So I asked him, Somkiat, how was. How was today, you know, how did you deal with the the kind of the pressure and the nerves? Um, And he said he came to the track and pretty much everyone that he saw, everyone he passed was patting him on the back saying, you're winning today, aren't you? And this was obviously causing quite a big amount of pressure. Um, And he went into the race. He said he dealt with it by uh, starting the race, uh, going down to turn one, exiting turn one. And he said he screamed all the way from turn one to turn three and all the way from (laughs) turn three to turn four. And then he said all of that screaming I got the stress out. And uh, yeah, at this point, his press officer was sat just in front of me in the press conference and he turned around and he said, this is (laughs) Chantra.
0: Yeah, pretty much sums it up. Fantastic story. Um, As I was saying, you know, there are winners, but then there are also the kind of people that have to stay in hotels like Neil. Uh, So, you know, for for you... (laughs) for you dave who was the loser from the grand prix uh
2: the loser for me is aprilia because um they have a really good bike um with some really odd errors the fact that they cannot get rid of the heat which is causing their riders physical problems no one else i mean like everyone gets hot behind other bikes but aprilia have a very very specific problem and they can't have it. We've also seen the bike producing so much heat that it's causing electronics components to fail. Um, they have a very fundamental problem, and they really need to address it. And this keeps happening. Um, you know, they keep on finding a way to make this fantastic motorcycle, which has this, you know, deep and fundamental flaw. Somehow, they keep tripping themselves up.
0: Dave, you are the Aprilia of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: a fine component, but with some errors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was no. That's hundred percent. Hundred percent.
1: Was this the most maverick finale his weekend at MotoGP? By the way, of all the the MotoGP weekends in which he's been present, I mean, first or second in every practice session, showing commendable rhythm through practice, which suggested that he could be a front runner in the race, and then uh, he basically just sort of fluffed his lines at the start and uh, got a long lap penalty in the sprint, was nowhere. And then in the race, obviously, you know, I pretty had the, the issues with the bike heating up, but um, it's safe to say that Maverick wasn't quite um, performing to his maximum at that point. I think he was 10th when he retired. So another sort of baffling weekend with, you know, for Maverick.
0: I think we've already bashed poor Maverick on this podcast. We, we've um, We've dealt with him already. We'll let him off this time. He's a good football player. So, sympathy for Maverick.
2: But also, he's just insanely talented. This is what is so frustrating about him. He is insanely talented. He is so fast when he wants to be. And then he manages to trip himself up. I mean, you know, to me, the most Maverick thing ever was uh, when he left Yamaha. You know, he goes to... um, uh, goes to us and was it a podium and a pole position? I think. Yeah. But yeah, pole position and a podium. And then he goes to Austria and uh, revs the bike until it blows up. I mean, it was that's that that's that's Maverick Vinales. You know, it really is complete massive ups and downs.
0: Neil, was that your shout for your loser?
1: No. Um, my shot is actually in Enea Bastianini because um there were indications that Bastia was sort of getting the hang of this Ducati this uh, 2023 uh, Ducati in Mandalika actually had a pretty good race I set the fastest lap of the race in uh, in Indonesia but since then just seems to have gone backwards again and you know this was another really difficult puzzling weekend for Enea 13th in the sprint 13th in the main race i mean the Ducati was the bike to be on at uh, at the Chang International Circuit there's no doubt about that um and you know bastianini okay you could obviously say that he's not physically 100% after his injury sustained in barcelona that that is for sure but then marco bazecchi isn't anywhere near full, fully fit luca Marini isn't fully fit and he was on the podium in the sprint um and bastianini persistent issues um cannot that final stage of, ent- of 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 kind of corner entry where he's kind of releasing the brakes and turning into the turning into the corner That was where he was so strong, where he was able to make up time last year when he was uh, you know finishing third in the world championship that is just a kind of area where he's lacking this year um and you know there's been rumors in the last couple of months that anaya hasn't actually been that happy he's actually wanted to get out and go back to grassini um I heard one or two stories that hasn't quite gelled with marco Rigamonti, his crew chief in the factory team this year and um you know i think our suspicions last year that anaya is a rider that deals better in a or, or kind of um uh, performs better in a, in a more relaxed working environment rather than the, the kind of intense, uh, crushing sort of high-pressure, high-stakes uh, environment that is the Factory Ducati team. You know, that's kind of coming to pass. Um, so, yeah, and A13th, I mean, it's it's, it's bad. It's really bad. This is a guy we were sort of thinking was going to be fighting for the championship this year. And, um, you know, there's not really, aside from Mandelika, I don't really think there's been a a race weekend I can remember where Anea has sounded positive about the situation. Uh,
2: do we think that Jorge Martin both dodged a bullet and is only fighting for the um, MotoGP championship because he didn't get put into the factory team?
1: Quite possibly. Very yes. much
0: so. But I think, uh, you know, you have to take into account, like Neil says, the injury factor, but you do have to wonder if in the next quarter of next season, whether Bastianini's future in the factory team is really going to be on the line, um, certainly for a contract extension. It's, um, it's going to be one of the talking points, I think, to look for in the first rounds of next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, the rumor that I heard in, uh, in Thailand this weekend is that he's already plotting a path out for 2025.
0: Wow, that's crazy. I mean, the, the rider markets is going to be insane in the next uh, six months.
2: Yeah, so the Sepang test is where it's all going to kick off because that's going to be you know like if the Yamaha is any good, uh, then we know what Fabio Quartararo is going to be doing. Um, we'll uh, we'll get into like three, four, five races, and Mark Marquez will will know what Mark Marquez is is doing. Whether he decides to stay on the Ducati and uh, you know if he thinks he can win a championship, he's going to stay there. Um, yeah, we'll start to see lots and lots of movement. Uh, all around the place, then it gets really, really interesting.
0: My loser from the weekend was uh, Yuma Sasaki, uh, the third non-score for the Japanese this year. Uh, Jauma Masia has two, and that's three now for the Husqvarna rider. And um, just one of those incidents that you're always slightly afraid of in the Moto3 pack, you know, someone has a bit of a problem or an issue and uh, another rider cannot avoid um, the, the rider having the issue and uh that was it for Sasaki straight onto the ground and um now it's a 17 point difference still quite a few quite you know 75 points to go but uh yeah i mean the the japanese has been incredibly consistent and um you know a shout i guess you could say for the winner's column day for Colin Baia, um in rookie season um, looking good for the, the Dutch youngster. I mean, he's uh, emerging as a real talent. I think if uh, we didn't have David Alonso, who rode to his fourth victory of the season, now the winningest rider in Moto3 in 2023, then Valle would be in with a good shout of being Rookie of the Year.
2: Yeah, um, he's he has been very impressive.
1: Yeah, and Alonso now just 25 points back at the summit, and uh, let's face it, the three guys ahead of him in Championship haven't exactly been uh, staking their claim with uh, full force in the last couple of weeks. So, um, I thought it was always a bit of a long shot that David Alonso could uh, win, his, win the, the Moto3 World Championship in his rookie year, but um, he has navigated away way around these flyaways almost expertly, exception being Philip Island, but generally, uh, what a rider, what a talent. And uh, yeah, 25 points back, I wouldn't rule him out.
2: Uh, right, I have a question for you two. Um, when will each of the three championships be wrapped up, do you think? Because I was... Mm, <sighs> slightly disappointed that Pedro Acosta couldn't get it done. I mean, he would have needed a lot of help from Tony Arbolino. But it looks like, uh, you know, Acosta will be champion in Sepang. Um, When do we think Moto3 will be decided and when do we think Moto GP will be
1: decided? Valencia and Valencia.
2: Yeah, I
0: would say, I mean, you're right. um, Acosta only has to finish fourth uh, in Sepang uh, to make sure of the Moto2 title. But yeah, I think it's really going to go down to the last one. I mean, we have to go some way to, Neil, you correct me here, 2013, I think when we had um, Marin Yales, Alex Rins, and Lewis Salom, I think, coming out of the final corner. Um, pretty much that was a last lap, last corner dispute for the world title that year. Uh, you know, I, I, we could end up with something similar um, this time.
2: All right, next question. Will the MotoGP... Uh... Title be decided at Valencia in the sprint race or in the main race on Sunday.
1: David, past midnight here on Sunday night in Thailand. <laughs> but really, why are you? Why are you trying to draw this out, mate? Well, listen. It will be. Um,
0: it'll be a fantastic endorsement for the first year of the sprint if the world championship is actually won on a Saturday. Can you imagine it? Um, you know the marketing possibilities for Dorna. Anyway, yeah, course, as Neil pointed out. Oh, go uh, on, to.
2: Uh, Plus, um, uh, the champion then gets the next day to ride around in their uh, uh, bright gold leathers if Alvaro Bautista's championship (laughs) is uh, anything to go by.
0: In the best possible taste. Um, That's it. We've tied up the Grand Prix from Buriram. Unbelievably, there's a weekend ahead without any motorcycle racing coming up. Um, It's been nine in a row for me, so I don't know quite what I'm going to do with myself. Uh, Perhaps gorge on some more football misery as a Queen's Park Rangers sufferer. Uh, What are your plans, guys, before Sepang?
1: There are these things in your house, Adam, called uh, children. and It's probably time that you got uh, reacquainted with them.
2: Uh, They're teenagers. They're not children anymore. They don't want anything to do with him if they're proper teenagers.
1: Yeah,
0: all they do is drain the bank account. So that's just, you know, um, yeah. That we won't go there. Your you, Dave, were you going to be out on the motorcycle this weekend?
2: Uh, well, not if the weather forecast is accurate and it were well, it rains all week. But yes, I have um, uh, we are, I have arranged with my wife for us to go out and have a day out and do something nice and not think about motorbikes.
1: Neil, you're going to be padding the tie a bit more. I am, yes. Um, going to uh Bangkok tomorrow. My other half is uh currently in chiang mai northern thailand she's flying to bangkok tomorrow so we're going to spend a few days there and then we're going to go to ko chang which is uh, one of the islands in the the kind of north of the country so uh, yeah a bit of bit of beach time i think um a bit of island hopping um maybe a bit of um bit of snorkeling bit of diving so yeah it should be lovely
0: i thought you said you're going to head back to chang there for a minute i thought there's a man who knows how to treat a lady take her back to a race circuit <laughs>
2: Staying, in a, yeah and stay in a 30 the Euro same right hotel. hotel yeah, yeah pure
0: exactly. luxury there we the honeymoon go. suite nicely done uh, <laughs> thanks for listening everyone like review follow us leave us any comments on soundcloud or your preferred podcast platform we'll be back next week to preview malaysia